Hi, I'm Terry Zabolski, pastor of Grace Community Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I'd like to thank you for listening to this week's message. I hope and trust that God's Word is a blessing to you as you live for Him each and every day. All right, I've uh, entitled the message, Opposition. Take your Bible, look at uh, Luke's Gospel, Dr. Luke's Gospel, chapter 5. We're going to spill in over into chapter 6 today. Opposition. Oh, isn't that fun? Opposition. So fun when people oppose you, isn't it? I'm against it. Some people ought to have that on their tombstone. I'm against you. (laughs) Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Right? Opposition. How many are in favor? Three are, two against. Some folks are just born in the objective case. Did you know that? Mm-hmm. My old friend uh, and our elder emeritus, Gary Helsa, used to call them, what, the 10 percenters. Yeah, they're born in the negative case, right? I always act like they've been sucking on lemons. You know, pucker up, you know. We live in a world that's uh, certainly no friend of grace. Have you noticed that? It is. It really is. And Jesus is going to uh, run into some waves of opposition here from his old friends, right? Friends like that. Who needs, right? The Sadducees, the Pharisees, and the scribes. and, And should we expect less? You say, well, I smile. I'm pleasant, you know. Why don't they all pat me on the head? Well, just let them know where you stand and that you love Jesus, and you too will feel opposition. Say, well, I'm a nice person. It don't matter. The most perfect one who ever lived suffered brutally from folks that hated him, right? All he did was want to care for them. And they said, mm, no, I don't think so. And you represent, you represent Christ to a fallen world. Did you know that? Christian means little Christ. That's what you are. That's what you're supposed to be. That's what Christ, God is making in your life, the image of Christ. And so don't be surprised by that. When you suffer in your family, in your community, listen, I've suffered in my family. There are those in my family that I don't think know Christ. My father didn't know Christ a long time. thought I lost my marbles. He said, why would you ever want to leave business and go into the ministry? I mean, he never went to church and all that, but his concept, I remember he said, why do you want to hold a bunch of old ladies' hands? That was my father's concept of pastoral ministry. Thought about that in seminary all those years. I said, nobody's ever instructed me in that. <laughs> I said, Dad, that's uh, not, not quite it. But, he, you know, the misunderstanding, it caused the division. Jesus said, I come to bear a sword. I come to bear separating father from son, husband from wife. And, and, and all the rest. I saw it my mother. She married a man. My mother was a Christian. My dad was a good man. But my dad was not saved. And I saw the separation there. And I saw my mother's tears for years, years in my own family. The distance, the misunderstanding. Uh, and then just beyond the doors of our house into the community. Just stand up for Jesus. Let people know you stand for Jesus. And you'll, you'll begin to feel it, right? The world barely tolerates, we're going to say this later, but barely toler- tolerates when you and I say God. Well, the world can say it in profanity, right? I had an aunt who didn't know Christ, and she used God's name all the time, GD this, GD that. And my mother almost like, Aunt Jean's coming over, get ready, you know, like... We're going to be assaulted, and everyone lined up for a bath after. It felt like that. It really did. But you talk about God, and they're like, mm, okay, you're one of those. But go a step further, okay? Not just generic. Talk about Jesus, and you'll feel it, all right? You will. I promise you. It just runs counter to the godless culture of our world. It's everywhere. In the media, it's in the school, it's in the workplace, the marketplace, everywhere. 
can hardly say Merry Christmas. Why? Because Jesus' name is in that. Right? That's the world we live in. Stamp it out. It's the Canaanic civilization revisited. What in the world is that? It's Genesis 4 again. Cain went out from the presence of the Lord, tried to build a civilization in high tech without God. And that's the world we live in. You know, the music and the arts of the world are just, they're an aesthetic to the soul. To drown out the reality, life is uncertain, dead is a long time, and I have no idea where I came from or where I'm going, so let's sing. Is this all there is to a song? Is this all there is? How about that pathetic song? Some of you know it quite well, right? To a fire, to all that. That's our world. A couple years ago, um, uh, Franklin Graham was invited to, uh, to provide the inaugurational prayer for President Bush on that inauguration. And the big hub drub before would, would, okay, he's coming, but would he pray and end his prayer in Jesus' name? That should not even have been an issue. And I loved it when he said, in Jesus' name, amen. I yelled amen at the same time. I heard the thing. You see, it's, it's the dividing mark. You see, don't be surprised. Now, we need men and women of courage here. You can't be walking around hiding in the bushes, okay? Don't blend in. Stand out. Make your life count for something that really counts. Take a stand. Stand up, stand up, stand up for Jesus. Don't we teach our kids that? That's an old song, right? I remember when I had the joy of being uh, the chaplain of uh, the Pennsylvania Senate, and I met uh, and, and with our senator at that time, and as he was... He was the, one of the head honchos there, and I talked to him and, and said, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When I pray and open the session, I, don't even ask me if you're going to say I can't pray in Jesus' name. That's the only reason I'm here. And so I'm not going to say a lot of nice little things and pat you guys on the head. We're going to ask God to help you. You need help. And we're going we're gonna to cry out to Jesus that God will help you. He said, oh, no, we believe in that. You can, yes, you have a right to do that. So I, I let it fly. Preach the gospel and everything else in that long prayer. They had hardly any time to do any work, but we, we honored the Lord in that day. But you feel the pressure, right? You feel the pressure. You feel it everywhere. They like to snuff out. You go to the United Nations, they can never have an opening prayer in Jesus' name. A lot of good that place is going to do for us, right? A lot of good. Oh, thank you. Right. They'll take some of the word, beat their plowshares, their, their swords in the plowshares, right? Right on, there's a big statue of that on the East River. They yank that right out of the Bible. Well, that only happens when Jesus comes and the millennial kingdom is here. Well, no more wars. Jesus is the issue. Opposition. Well, look at this. It's a law of physics that you can't move in the world without causing friction. You can't do it. Many of the things we use have lubricants. You know, uh, DW40, right? WD40. <laughs> Don't let me work on your car, Tex. <laughs> that is good stuff. That and duct tape, though. I'll tell you, that stuff covers most everything. But you have lubricants to help you overcome the heat and the resistance that normally results from close contact with another object. Friction. Friction. Your car engine has all that metal in it, right? Boy, you better, you better keep that oil up to snuff. You know, you're going to have problems. You can just buy, keep buying new engines and do that. I, I put two engines in, in cars we've had. Of course, you never buy those kind of cars again. Boy, that's expensive, huh? Metal moving inside the cylinder there at incredible speeds, that RPM. You know, you redline it or something. That's not too good to do either. But <laughs> friction, heat, that's what warms your, your body, right? And the, you know, the whole radiator system and that heat. That's because of moving parts. You can't move. It's a law of physics without having that resistance in the heat. Well, Jesus, in his early days of his ministry, uh, he is, uh, as we've been noticing, he's been teaching. Nobody ever taught like Jesus. That's what they said. Whoa, 
We've never heard anything like this. He didn't footnote everything. He just, uh, he just taught with authority. I mean, he was the one that gave the Bible, so he just taught them. This is what it is, and this is what it means. Didn't quote all the rabbis. Wow, he taught, he preached. Oh, you love the Puritans. Puritans uh, said, put it this way, God had only one son. He made him a preacher. Nobody ever preached. Like, and that Sermon on the Mount is still one of the greatest loved sections of the whole Bible. Preaching, uh, that wonderful, blessed are the poor in spirit, and all the rest. We've looked at that in days gone by. Feeding the hungry. How about that for, uh, for a uh, hot lunch program? Don't have to take your 35 cents. Just we got a boy here with fishes and bread. Uh, healing the sick. Wow. Emptied the hospitals. It was a, a touch of heaven for just a moment during those few days while Jesus was on earth. It's a reminder and encouragement of what it's going to be like for us in the future. Cause great excitement, great stir. You can imagine that. Imagine if uh, all of a sudden Holy Spirit Hospital was emptied of all their patients. They carried them in, some they carry out, and they take them to the morgue, but they, here they all ran out. Well, that would be something, wouldn't it? Wow. You go, what's going on over there? We're going to go over and find out. Who's doing this? His name is Jesus. Wow. Luke, the physician, writes and tells us of this. Incredible. What a stir. Yet, surprisingly, or maybe not, the religious leaders of that day increasingly despised him. It's uh, satanic to the core. How can you be against these things? I mean, really, think about it. How can you be against such good things? I mean, you really have to work at it. And it just came to him. The tension and conflict was rising, and it would end, of course, at the cross. Prior, they would yell, crucify him, crucify him. Well, in the space of three short events, we're going to see the opposition moves from mere protest. They're merely protesting. In three short steps to a resolution, they resolve, we got to stop this guy. Uh, we gotta, we got to deal with him. Well, there are three controversies reminding us that our fallen world hates. That's a strong word, but it fits. Dark hates the light. Don't ever forget that. If you're saved, you're a child of light. Our fallen world hates Jesus. And if they could get their hands on him again, they would kill him. He came once, and according to the plan of God, they killed him. And now they can't get to him. The world, Satan, his emissaries, fallen demons, and children in darkness hate the light. Don't be surprised by that. Be strong. Some gave their life. That's not bad. It's like shoots and ladders. That's the quick ladder up. Don't, don't ever worry about that. Have you read this story in recent days? It broke about uh, the, uh, the Arab in the, uh, over on the West Bank who was one of the sons of one of the top uh, Hamas leaders and was wonderfully saved. He was a spy for Israel. He saved hundreds and hundreds of lives. Young man lives now in Southern California. He was wonderfully saved, and he attends church there, and he is on a short list, and they ask him about it. He's just come out with a book. It's an exciting book. He just realized in reading the Bible, somebody, taxi driver, gave him a copy of the New Testament in Arabic. He read it, and he saw the love and compassion and mercy of Jesus, and God wonderfully saved him. The son of one of the top Hamas leaders. And he worked with Israel for 10 years or so, pointing out that's a suicide bomber. He, now, Israel had a promise they wouldn't kill him. And they went and they apprehended him before he pushed the button, or she did, and blew up themselves and killed others. And he saved hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of lives, all because of Christ. And he attends a church in, 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 in San Diego area. And they interviewed him, said, aren't you afraid for your life? And I loved what he said, what got my attention. He said, death isn't the worst thing that could happen to you. That's shoots and ladders again, remember? 
But to die in your spirit and to die in your soul is the worst thing that could ever happen to you. And in a little encapsulated form, he's talking about dying apart from Jesus and going to hell forever and ever. That's the worst thing. I thought, I like this guy. This guy's right on. Look at, look at the grace of God to reach him. I've got to get this book and read it. And I guess he just came out. What's the name of it? Did anyone see the name of the book? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, yeah. Yeah, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal the other, uh, yesterday, a big, big one, and the one the other, yeah. So you might want to look at that. So don't be surprised to the fallen world. Don't be surprised when you live for Jesus that you too will be oppressed and marginalized in, in big ways and in small ways. Don't be surprised, but do it anyway. Do it anyway. Live for Jesus. Live free. It's like the New Hampshire license plate. Don't you love it? Live free or die. Live as free men. Live as free men and women. You are free. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty indeed. Live as free men. And God will bless you for it. Well, the three controversies, they move quickly. Uh, It's a matter of don't eat, and it's a matter of eating, and it's a matter of healing. There it is. Somebody pray and we'll go home. That just encapsulated the three kind. Don't eat, eat, don't heal. That's not a dog. Don't heal. Okay, let's look at the first. It's a question of fasting. And the issue really is Jesus and his presence. His presence brings joy. It uh, joy unspeakable. This this uh, voluntary form of spiritual discipline is to be a part is to be practiced from our hearts and not simply out of formalism or ritual. Let's read the text in, in five, Luke 5, verse 33, to the end of chapter 5 for this first uh, controversy. And they, that is the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, they said to Jesus, uh, John's uh, disciples often fast and prayed, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours go on eating and drinking. They're having a party. Jesus answered, Can you make the guests of the bridegroom fast while he's with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. And in those days they will fast. And he told them this parable, No one tears a patch from a new garment and sews it on an old one. If he does, he will have torn the new garment, and the patch from the new one will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, and the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, wants the new, for he says the old is better. Well, it's a question of fasting here. Uh, Remember, they're they're coming uh, not, uh, we don't know how long it was, but that nice a wonderful celebration feast at Levi's house. And Luke, uh, under the Spirit's direction, includes this uh, controversy now and this confrontation uh, with the uh, Pharisees. Well, A, the Pharisees confronted Jesus, and they want to know, as you know, why his disciples do not fast. Uh, fasting, uh, of course, uh, means to avoid eating of food. You deny yourself. It's not a big issue in our day, right? Self-denial for Americans? Oh my, we want it all, we want it all now, and we want it all forever. Self-denial. Deny yourself a meal. Deny yourself eating for a day. You won't die. Most of us have stored up quite a bit. We're good for the winter. No, not like bears, but... Uh, we're good, but it is a concerted effort where you deny yourself physical food to, to draw near to the Lord. Maybe there's an urgent prayer request, and you want to really focus on it. So you deny it. Not, it's not meritorious. It doesn't save you, but it does some wonderful things spiritually. Actually, think about it physically. After you eat lunch, most of us are a little bit dull, Right? Whoa, that peanut butter sandwich. You're kind of like, <laughs> go without it, you know, drink water or something like that, and you're sharper. Have a little piece of protein you're going to eat, but the carbos put us in the sort of sleep mode. 
go without food for a period of time, and, and you're actually sharper, uh, typically, physically, uh, and, and so on. So you miss a meal, miss a lunch, miss a day eating. Why? In those times where you would have eaten, get alone, read your Bible, get on your knees, pray, call out to God. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a time to focus uh, upon the, uh, the need at hand or on God or to spend time with Him, and it's a good practice. Jesus never said, well, no, we don't do that anymore. You don't see that here. He's saying, it's not at this time we're not doing it. Okay? So that's what fast. The Old Testament tells uh, all, of all kinds of fasts. There was the national fast, and Luke 16 is the Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Uh, they were all to deny themselves, the whole nation of Israel, uh, eating on that day. Uh, there were times in the Old Testament of repentance and grief. They were days of fasting. Think of David. When David uh, uh, was uh, in repentance from his adulterous relationship with Bathsheba, and uh, Nathan confronted him, and he went into sackcloth and ashes in repentance, uh, Psalm 32 and Psalm 51 record some of the prayers that he made at that time, he went without food. You can also read Second Samuel, read the narrative on that. Uh, and then uh, in times of grief, um, uh, and when his, uh, uh, in times of grieving, we go without food. I don't know about you, but in times of, of loss, uh, you lose a loved one, you don't even feel like eating. You get sick if you think about food. Uh, that's why we need loved ones that... Aren't you glad of that? They come, they'll make a meal, they'll make a casserole to help you, because that's the last thing you're thinking of, about is making food, and loved ones, a dear church family responds and brings food in because we know families are coming or whatever else at those, those sad, sad times of mourning. At a time of mourning, you go without food. At times of repentance, that's a time of grief as well. You go without... So it's, it's practice. The Pharisees... They were the, the strict, religious, conservative uh, people of that day. They fasted twice a week, every Monday and Thursday. No hot lunch for them those days. They didn't come home and say, dear, what's for supper? They didn't fast. T uh, Monday and Thursday. Wow. You see, the Pharisees had twisted fasting, and they thought really to be spiritual meant that you had, <coughs> had to be unhappy unhappy and uncomfortable. It's like Irma Bombeck. Uh, remember Irma, some of you remember Irma Bombeck? She died a number of years now, but she had a great sense of humor. And she would write uh, in her book. One thing she wrote, <coughs> I read recently, it was she said to her, her kids were making, uh, um, uh, making noise in church. And she leaned over with that stern mother look like, if you don't get this, you'll get it later. Said, Stop smiling, you're in church. You know, that was the attitude of the Pharisees, you know, like, oh, this is a very unpleasant, unhappy experience. And that's the way they viewed it. So you had to have that real sour look, oh, that's, oh, you must be holy, you know. And, and, and what? What? I can't hear it. Or a Baptist. All right, Jim. Thank you. Tell us later what you mean by that. <laughs> We're not going to touch that one. Okay. So they got the idea. So every John the Baptist, his disciples fasted. They were right on that. Jesus practiced fasting. Matthew four one as he approached as he in that temptation experience there in the wilderness. Even the church fasted in Acts 13.1 when they were trying to pray, Lord, who should we send on that missionary journey and set apart for me Saul and Barnabas for the work of the Lord? Remember that? And so the church, even after the resurrection, the early days there at Antioch, also practiced fasting. Well, <clears throat> Jesus answers his critics. And in essence, it's uh, God wants heart. He wants heart. He wants you to be real. Okay? The ritual, there's a place for ritual, but it's way down the list. Don't raise that to be the be-all, end-all. The form is not what's important. The heart is what's important. I've said that for years. I've said it to years uh, for parents. 
Go after the heart of your children. It's your heart. Heart. It's their heart. Read their heart. They're all going to be different. It's not one the same. Go after heart. Challenge them. It's not the form, oh, we do this, we do that, good people. That No, go after their heart. Why do we do what we do? And don't give up. Keep nurturing that. That's what God wants. That's what God wants in all of us, to be genuine, transparent, and real. Okay? You can, you can, you can fast. Say, oh, every Tuesday I'm going to fast. For so, uh, keep, it, kind of keep it to yourself. Don't parade it around. Uh, look good. Put an extra dab of Chanel number no. 5 or something on so people don't know. Or guys, you know, that skin bracer or something, whatever you... You know, don't look like you're, oh, look at them. They're No, you do that under the Lord, right? I'm praying for my son. I'm praying for my daughter. I'm praying for these needs. Lord, I'm, I'm going to take that time. I'm do good, those are good things. Do that. It's great. God wants heart, not the ritual, not the form. And so Jesus answers the critic. He says, what? Today's like a wedding. He tells him in verse 34, this is like a wedding. I'm the bridegroom, I'm the groom, and uh, my attendants, my best men, uh, my guests are with me here, and uh, this is a time of feasting, a time of joy. That's what he says in verse 34. It's a wedding. It'd be incongruous to, for us not to eat. In essence, the, for the disciple, it was a day of overflowing joy. Wow, excitement. Why? Because Jesus was there. Jesus is the issue. The whole question of fasting is the issue of the presence of Jesus and that he brings joy. Joy. You know, heaven is going to be a place of sublime joy. No tears, no sorrow, no death, no obituaries, no hospitals. How about that? Unbelievable joy, laughter, fun. You know, that's why we're in the presence, bodily presence of the Lord Jesus. I can't wait, really. It's going to be so good. It's like a wedding feast, Jesus said. Wow. I remember my wedding. Faith and I couldn't wait to get married. We've been married a long time now. And uh, I couldn't wait. We kept ourselves for each other and, and the excitement of that day and and I couldn't wait to grab the bride and run, you know. And, uh, and we did. I, we, we were hoping we never came back. Whatever happened to them? You know, they rode off into the sunset. The joy and excitement of that. And the festive, my friends and my family were all there. Celebrate, eat up. Oh, wasn't this great? Isn't she beautiful? She's mine. And all the other guys wanting her. Ha, 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 I got her, you know. <laughs> Joy, fun. That's not a time, no, I'm not eating today. You know, like, oh, you must be godly. No, you must be insane. What's the matter with you? <laughs> even the Pharisees, you read some of their literature in the Mishnah, right? They, even if they were fasting, they declared, if you happen to be at the wedding, that's off. You can go and eat. You know? <laughs> it's a day of feasting, a day of joy. I remember I've, I've been able to, through the years, to perform hundreds of weddings, and some are very beautiful. Some of your weddings, I remember. And yeah, Mary, were you the last one? Might have been the last. Yeah. yeah, but you guys were there. I can't remember. I can't remember the dates exactly. They were the last. Okay, and what fun that was. That was so, that was so much fun. And my own daughter's wedding. I married on a Sunday at the country club, and that was under a white tent. It was so much fun. I didn't know how I was going to handle that. I had to walk her down the aisle, and then I had to stand in front and give her away. You know, you can't plan emotions. Some people do that. You know, like, I often wonder about politicians in their notes. Cry here. You know, right? They're like... <laughs> You phony baloney, you know. And, and like, you know, men are like, oh, we'll suck it up. We're real men. But the emotions sometimes hit you. go like, whoa, whoa, where'd that come from? Whoa, you know, you're giving my only daughter away. And, you know, like when that happens, that you realize too late that the groom is a thief. He's stealing your, one of your very best. That's going to happen to you. Are you that's, 
this is like, you know, wait a minute. Why are we smiling here? He's leaving with gold here. And I haven't seen much of her since, you know. <laughs> what a day of celebration, you know. What a joy. That's the way God intended. And if you're waiting to get married, keep yourself. The world will trash you. Go live it up. Go live in sin. Go fornicate. And I'll tell you what, God will forgive you in Christ. Don't do it, though. If you're like, keep yourself. Keep yourself. And the excitement of the joy, I'm telling you, I've seen all sorts. And God is great, and he's given the gift of marriage and wedding. But it's God's plan, and his gift is it's his wedding gift. Sex is God's wedding gift. It's the cherry on top of the cake. You better have the cake there first. I'm telling you, and the joy of that. And if, if you've not done that, praise God, God forgives. He does. He cleanses, and as far as the east is the west. But you can't have it like it never was, though. You know how that goes? So keep yourself. Recommit yourself. And the joy of that. It's a wedding, he said. Fasting? You've got to be kidding. No way. No way. That's out. Hand me a piece of cake. This is a time of joy, sublime joy. Makes no sense to do that. But in the future, I want you to know, when I am taken away, there's a, there's an, a, a very seed reference to his coming crucifixion, his death. Fast, oh yeah, they will, but not today. Not today. Why? Because I'm here and they're with me. Well, Jesus doesn't stop at that point in C. He goes even deeper. He's telling them that, uh, in fact, this is a brand new day. This is a brand new situation. And guys, boys, he says, we're not going to mix the old with the new. That's the essence of these three short parables. Say, hey, what in the world is he talking about here? What's he talking about here with, with sowing material, new material on uh, patch on the old and, and, and new wine and the old skins and, and the new and the old wine? What in the world? Are He's just trying to say, he goes further and say, listen, this is a new day and we're not going to mix it. Most of, hey guys, most of your traditions and all that, we're not going to do. Got news for you. We're letting it go. Uh, this is a brand new day because I'm here and there's a brand new Brew away. This is the culmination of what we've been waiting for. And so one, the new patch on old material, you can't patch a little bit of Jesus on the old way of life. It's impossible. That's what he's pointing at. Number two, you can't put new wine in old wineskins. Now, you know how they do that. They take a sheep or a goat, and, you know, we, we get a little squeamish because we think everything comes from the you know, from Weiss Market or the giant, right, meat section. No, they, they butcher the thing, and then they, they'd skin it, and the, the, the skin up around the neck, hey, that looks like the top of a bottle. That's what they did. They cut it off there, then they, they shaved the hair off it, they treated it so it didn't smell like skin, then they sewed it together, and they made a wine skin out of it. It could actually, they made it in a certain way that it, it held it held the, uh, the drink. It held the wine. They, they pour the new wine into it, and, and it would hold. Well, bit by bit, that leather would get old and hard, uh, and not, not that real soft, pliable when it was uh, first uh, formed. And so if you take an old wineskin and you pour the wine into the old, well, the new wine is going to ferment. It's going to expand, and it's going to crack the old wineskin the old way, and both would be lost. The new wine would be lost, and the wineskin would be lost, and all would be lost. And he's using a parable to say, boys, uh, things are changing here. We're not going to mix my ways and the things that you've been doing here and all that that you added out with the old and with the new is what he's saying. Finally, he's, he, he, and Jesus represents the new wine, and uh, they love the old, the old ways, their old tradition, their old burdens, and uh, apart from Christ and work of the Spirit, they would not change, verse 39. It's a new way. You should know that uh, we actually saw this take place. The church hammered out for years in those early days how much of the old Judaistic ways in Judaism were they to uh, bring into the church and how much of that was to influence the church. Remember that in Acts 15 at, at Jerusalem Council. I mean, were Christians, because they were initially all Jews, how much of the, now the Gentiles are starting to come in, and it's becoming more and more Gentiles in this thing called the church, 
Are the Gentiles supposed to be Jewish in some of the things they do? And they decided in, in Acts 15 that no, they weren't. It's a new way, and you don't mix the two. That was God's way, and they added enormous amount to it that shouldn't have been added, and that was gone. That was gone. Well, the question of fasting is the question of, uh, is Jesus present? Is Jesus present? And if he is, there ought to be joy. And if, there's, if Jesus is present in your life, you know there ought to be joy in your life? Joy is not happiness. Happiness is so cheap. Happiness just means, uh, you know, things are going pretty good today. I'm happy, 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 until the guy hits the horn at you at the red light, right? And mess you up, ruin the day, go home, kick the dog, all that kind of thing, right? That's not it. It's joy. It comes from there. It's a fruit of the Spirit. There ought to be joy in your heart in the presence of Jesus. If you spend time in the presence of Jesus on your knees, reading your Bible, there's going to be a radiance about you. There'll be a joy, and people will read it. There's something different about them. Don't know what it is. Can't figure them out. You let them know it's the joy of Jesus. And that's, what are you saying? These guys are in my, we're having a party. It's a wedding. Fasting? I don't think so. Pass me another piece of prime rib, right? Amen. How about that? I'm sorry if you're a vegan or whatever they call those, vegans, right? Oh, second controversy. Let's look at it. It's a question of eating now. Don't eat. Fast. What? Now, eat. Now, now the boys eat. Now they're in trouble. Look at it. It's a question of plucking and eating. People are placed over rules in a word. Jesus teaches us that, that love for God and love for people is the inward purpose of the whole law. That's it. You want to summarize it? Love God and love people. Forget all the ritualistic nonsense. Well, no, it has a place, but don't elevate it. Well, A, let's, let's read the text. Look at chapter 6 now, verses 1 to 5. See the second controversy reminding us that our fallen world hates Jesus. Now, the tension uh, and the opposition is increasing. It's like, uh, it's like uh, you're at the stove and you're turning the heat up. Now we're going to raise it up here a little bit more uh, on, on the Lord Jesus. First one, on Sabbath, that's the key, that's Saturday. On Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain and rub them in their hands and eat the kernels. And Some of the Pharisees asked, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. And then Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Well, there's a question of plucking and eating. People are placed over rules. Well, A, the Pharisees thought that they had caught Jesus violating the Sabbath law. Now you can see him, right? They're watching him. They're watching him. They first heard about him. Then they set ramps down to sit in the audience to hear him. Then they, then they, uh, then now, then they approached the, his disciples, and they began to object. I object. I object, right? Now, the, now they're confronting him directly. Now more than that, they're watching him. There they are. They got the field glasses. There they are. Crossing the field, the old translation calls it cornfield. They didn't have corn. It was probably barley. And there they are crossing. Oh, they're stopping. These were the paths that crisscrossed the fields in those days. Didn't have nice sidewalks like we do that we need to keep shoveled here when the snow comes, right? But they had paths across the farmer's fields. And uh, as they made their way traveling, uh, they uh, reached over into the field. There were some of whether the uh, harvest had occurred or not, uh, or uh, they, they, there were some standing grain still left there. They reached over, grabbed some of the, hand, the heads, put it in a hand, rubbed it, and the chaff would disappear, and there's the grain, and there you go. Better than McDonald's drive through huh? And that's, uh, that's what they were doing. And ha-ha, it's the Sabbath day. We're watching kind of a gotcha moment. Uh, so to speak. And you should know that they were the self-appointed Sabbath police. They, they thought they were, and that's what was happening. And uh, 
they, uh, uh, they uh, it, and I should tell you, in Deuteronomy 23.25, it's part of God's amazing program of caring for the poor. You know, God has always had a heart for the poor. And he built it into the law of Israel and said to him, listen, when you harvest your fields and you go through that, you only go over it once. Remember Boaz and Ruth, kinsman redeemer? She went to the field even at harvest time, and she followed behind them, and what they didn't uh, harvest, she picked up. Remember that? That was God's ordained plan to care for the poor, that they could go to the field. You weren't to clean it like scalp it. Leave it. Go through it once, and then whatever's standing or left on the ground, you leave it, because I'm going to take care of my people. That's God's heart for people, and uh, and so on. And and so uh, and also then, when they were traveling, it was legal for them to walk through the field, whether it was even harvested or not, or it was ready to be, and to do what the disciples did. That was God's program to feed the travelers or those in need. They could do that. Now you couldn't bring a sickle and say, "Well, you know, a handful's good. I think I'll take a sack of this." You just violated uh, God's law because that's stealing. But this was not stealing. God owned the land, and they were his people. And a wonderful care of God here. The problem was uh, it was the Sabbath, or at least the problem to the Pharisees, right? Well, B, why in the world did the Pharisees and the scribes think this way? Why were they so goofed up in, the, in their thinking? Well, they took the fourth commandment that you should remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Remember the, the four of the big ten? Uh, and they added to it. They added all sorts of regulations. You can't imagine hundreds of them as to what you could and what you couldn't do on, on the Sabbath day, lest you violate it. You see, they confused their law, their tradition, with God's law. The Sabbath day, God gave it to be a blessing. You know that you are made for a six one-day rotation? God never made you to put the pedal to the metal and stay there all the time. If you do, well, under his providence, we'll attend your funeral probably pretty early, earlier than otherwise. God built into even the calendar the seven-day week, and it's around the world. I've traveled a lot of places, and some of you have. It's seven days. Well, how'd they come up with that? It's from God, from the creation week. This is a creation ordinance. God said, six days, be busy doing what you do. And then the seventh day, rest, cease from it. Worship me, rest, enjoy. You know, Christians can do that. A lot of the folks uh, that are unsaved don't ever like to stop because they don't know who they are. They don't know the big question. Who am I? Where do I come from? Where am I going? My friends are dying. This is scary. Let's just keep going. They don't want to stop. They don't want to think. But you and I, if you know Christ, God says, stop, worship me, enjoy the day, think about where you came from, think about what I've done, think about where you're going, and enjoy. That's what God says. Enjoy. And these frowning Pharisees, thinking somehow that, that uh, uh, you know, you can't do that, you can't enjoy, that's not spiritual, stop laughing, you know, can't have a party, you know, no feasting, don't hang out with converted sinners of that, and oh, my, you'll get, oh, oh, right? So they had all these burdens on. You can't, you can't. And so they had crazy, crazy stuff like when they saw the disciples take the grain, uh-oh, they, they had a, you can't harvest on the Sabbath day. They harvested when they took the grain. Then they threshed it. You can't thresh. That's threshing. Oh, can't do that. Then they winnowed it. There goes the, the worthless husk. Winnowing, oh, we, got a, we have a rule against that too. And then they were preparing, right, to eat. You can't prepare food. They violated four uh, rabbinical or four pharisaical traditions by picking grain and eating on the Sabbath day. And they, they got all in a dither over it. They, uh, we got gotcha. you. 
We got you now. <laughs> you can almost see them there like that, right? They were all goofed up. They confused their ways with God's way. God said, listen, the Sabbath is a blessing. It's a blessing. It's a day for, for doing good and, and being a blessing. It is. I love Dr. Riken writes on this. It, it reminds us because sometimes enjoying grace, we end up making rules that go beyond the text. And then we think that all people ought to see it the way we do. Be careful. Draw the line where the Bible draws the line. There's a lot of freedom there in grace. Let, even here, we may have differences. Isn't that great? I'd hate everybody to look like me and act like me. That'd be so boring. Oh, man, I wouldn't even stand up here looking at you if that were the case. Right? There's freedom in it. And Dr. Riken writes, this example serves as a warning to us. We need to remember that most decisions we make about how to live out God's law in everything, from the way we use our money to the way we educate our children, they are not binding for other Christians. Your opinion and my opinion may differ on that. Give latitude on that. We stand or fall before the Lord. It's before the Lord we give an answer. The Pharisees, they were strict. This, 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 this. And they pushed their thoughts on all the people and made it a terrible burden, something it was never intended to be. Also, Riken writes, there is more to godliness than staying away from certain personal sins. God wants us to have a heart for people in need. And the disciples were hungry. They could care less. Go without it. It's the Sabbath day. Well, Jesus rebukes them in verse 3. Now, look at this. I love this. Jesus answered them, Have you never read? Uh, don't miss it. He's rebuking them. Here are the, these big doctors of the law and the, fair, and the Pharisees, all their flowing gowns. and I mean, they were the big maha. The people viewed them as, you know, they're, they're up there next to God. And the Lord's essentially saying, don't you know your Bible? That really put them back on their heels. I love that. The Lord rebukes them and reminds them of David in 1 Samuel 21, verses 1 to 7. David, when he was being chased around the countryside by the maniac of a king, Saul, was hungry. He went into a Ahimelech, and he had nothing to eat, and his men needed something to eat. And so he said, all that I have is the showbread that's made once a week for the priest. Have that. And the priest did the right thing there and gave David the food. You see, there's something higher than ceremonial law, and that is the needs of people. And David was starving in his men, and God has a heart for people more than he has for ritualism. Call it a hierarchy of law. It's like the law of gravity, right? You know, what goes up comes down, right? Throw a pencil up comes down. But if you got wings and enough power, the law of lift is a hierarchical law that over, overcomes the law of gravity. People's needs overcome the ceremonial ritualism of the priests and the idea of showbread uh, uh, that uh, they and they alone should eat. And David was uh, not condemned, nor was Ahimelech condemned. And by this, Jesus tells that God always, always, always desires mercy more than the observance of rituals. Human needs always supersede an issue of ceremonial law. Always, always. And as Lord of the Sabbath, uh, his point is, if you condemn us, you must condemn David as well. And they could not do that. Human needs. You know the church, do you know that? has had a long and storied history through the ages of caring for and being merciful for people in need. Where do you think hospitals have come from? Orphanages, places that care for uh, the down and the out, the inner city missions. People have given of their time and money and have done it at almost uh, 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 throughout their life with very little remuneration and caring for the needs of people. All the way back to the days of Rome, 
where a father didn't want a daughter. Maybe his wife gave birth to a daughter and he threw it out the window and it laid in the sewage that ran down the street. It was the Christians that picked up those unwanted babies and raised them. That has been the long and wonderful storied history of the church to stand up for the oppressed and the hurting and the down and the out and those that didn't have meals. And that's what we want to be. Not so involved with the formalism and the right, when do we stand, when do we sit, when do we do this and when do we do that. Ah, may have some importance in its part, but the needs of people. Don't ever get sucked up into the ritualistic nonsense that, of religiosity that, that tends to be everywhere. Jesus said, listen, people rate higher than rules, and you miss that, Pharisees. The plucking and eating of the grain, you, you missed it. And the last and the final that we'll look at today in turning up the heat of controversy, uh, reminding us that our fallen world hates Jesus, and if you and I live for Christ, we will feel its wrath in increasing large ways and small ways. It's a question of healing. And here's the point. It's always right to love people and show mercy. Always right. Verses 6 to 11, Jesus reveals again the Pharisees' lack of love for those suffering. We must not be hard-hearted. We must not. And you know, we can do this. We can. You know how we do this? This is how we do it, very commonly. Yeah, you know, people, people make their choices. And they chose to take drugs. And they chose to, to be a, an addict. And they chose to live in the street. And they chose. And so they chose it so they get theirs. And we walk right by on the other side, don't we? Or they chose to drink, and they chose to keep drinking and drinking, and now they're alcoholics and whatever. And they chose that, and the ruination, the loss, they chose it, so they get theirs. I want to tell you that's never the mind of Jesus, ever. It doesn't matter. You don't have to know all the wherefores and what. When someone in need confronts you, you just be the arms and hands and heart of the Lord Jesus. You don't have to know all that stuff. But for the grace of God, that's you at that moment. And there's no reason why it shouldn't be you and not them. You know, we do that. Well, they get theirs. They made the choice, you know. Gal gets pregnant. She's single and has that enormous task of of, of uh, bearing that baby. and Well, she got hers. You know, she knew better. Blah, blah, blah. And we have no heart. What's the matter with us? Oh, God, forgive me. I'm a sinner too. We do that. We can do that very well. Well, I'm for holiness. I'm for Jesus. I'm for doing it right. God help us. We ought to be overwhelming with mercy. That means a heart that can be touched and moved and caring for the needs of people. What about prisoners in jail? You know? Oh, they got theirs. You know, hey, they, they broke the line. They broke the line. Jim, I always love what you say, right? Jim, you say, the only difference between you and me is you got caught and I didn't. That's probably true. That don't look so holy. That's probably true for all of us. You've never speeded, did you, right? No, you, I've seen you. you. Turn yourself in. We ought, we ought, we ought, we ought to have. We, well, be careful on that. You know, I mean, really. It's, well, again, A, it's a Sabbath. Jesus is in the synagogue teaching. A need presents itself. Man in attendance there, as a, he has suffered having a defective right hand. The Pharisees are watching. Oh, goody, we're going to get him. Tension's rising. They're hoping to get the dope on him. And you know what? Don't you love this? They knew him to be merciful. What do people know about you? They're actually, they're counting on him to be merciful. Can people count on you? I know him. I, I've seen I, he's, got, he's He's a pushover. He's going to be a soft wood to God that be so. They're counting on him to be merciful. Wow. He could have healed them secretly. Don't you love that? Hey, see me outside after. You know? <laughs> I'll meet you down at Burger King. It's on me, and I'll take care of the hand, you know. <laughs> he could have, right? 
No, he could. They didn't have Burger King there. That's right. But he could have said something like that. He's a, he's a courageous man. I mean, these are the big shots there with their flowing robes sitting in there. I mean, he's courageous. That's what we need, men of courage. I'm tired of the wimpy men I see around. Not here. Don't, don't be a pastor offended me today. <laughs> Stand up. Man. What's he say in the text? Stand in the center here. I want everyone to see this. It's the Sabbath. I know it. They're goofed up in their thinking. You have a, you have a need. And, the, you know, the first is saying, come back tomorrow. Heal them tomorrow. Manana. No way. Stand in the center here. He stands in the center, and he has a, he has a penetrating question to ask the Pharisees. Verse 9, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? Verse 10, he looked around at all of them. Mark tells us in his parallel account, and you can check it later in Mark uh, chapter 3, a couple of things. Number one, nobody said a word. I mean, he asked a question, nobody answered. It pierced them right in their heart. And not only that, it's, it's one of the rare places in the Bible, Mark tells us Jesus had anger. Now, it was not like my anger and yours. Ours is usually sinful, right? I'll punch that guy right out, right? That, that is not righteous anger. Jesus had righteous anger at their hard-heartedness and their lack of mercy for the present need. Stand in the center. And then he says to them what? Stretch out your hand. And man did so. And his hand was completely restored. Wow. That's amazing. Stretch out your hand. You know, it's a picture of the gospel. He couldn't do it before Jesus. You're dead until you're saved. You're dead. You're lost in sin. Dead men don't respond. You didn't decide to trust him, though we sing that. We know what we, I hope we know what that means. I think. <laughs> he couldn't do it. He said, try it outside. Stretch that out. I can't move it. Stretch it out. Can't do it. Meets Jesus. The power of God touches him, and he goes, whoop. And that's a picture in a small way of salvation. God calls us to life and gives us new birth. And this guy stretches out his hand, and they all see it, and they all start clapping, right? Hey, we haven't seen anything like this. Man. Well, some of them did. But not these guys, not the religious leaders. They're going like this, big time. Now, is that, is that hard-heartedness? We could share in that same hard-heartedness. He's not from our school. He uh, broke our traditions. All had no heart for suffering people. None. And they wrapped a religiosity of, well, it's the Sabbath. You can't help people on the Sabbath. Now, they didn't have a rule if they were dying, you could help them. But you couldn't do good. Unbelievable. And they determined as they left that place, we've got to stop him. They were furious in their anger. Angry. And you know, they hated him for it. Hated him. And in this, did you notice? They missed the work of God. I mean, here they are standing in the presence of God, and they see a, a taste of heaven where God's going to restore our bodies. He does it instantly. And I got a question. Uh, is speaking work? Well, it is for me. I'm a pastor. But stretch out your hand. Is that in their foggiest mind on the Sabbath day work? I mean, that's a strange thought. He spoke. He's healed. You broke the Sabbath, you worked. No, he didn't. I just said something. Stretch out your hand. Amazing. They missed the work of God. You know, a critical spirit will do that. You know, God works in people's hearts and lives. God takes broken lives, 
and, uh, and, and restores them. And, uh, and if you're not where you ought to be, maybe you have a critical spirit, you're, you're way off the path, and you can't see it. You just sit there kind of sucking on this lemon and that lemon. Nothing's right. Hate your job, your dog, your cat, your wife, your kid, everything, you know? And you miss the glory and the greatness of God. That's what they did. They missed it. They had a front row seat. They're at the giant center. They're down right on the ice, and they missed it. How did you miss it? What's the myth? They missed it because of their sin. Don't you. Don't you miss that. Don't avoid. He's saying here, don't avoid getting into people's problems. For Jesus tells us here, it's always the right time. It's always the right time to show mercy to people in need. Always. I hope you find great joy in that. Now you snoop around and look around. They're everywhere. Everywhere. They are. Look to help and be a blessing, to be an encouragement to all the folks. And God will send, if, if, if you're faithful, God will send more your way. And you know, some of you live pretty boring lives. You know, get involved fishing for men. Get involved caring for people, and your life will be so full. And when you don't do it, it shrinks. It gets pretty small, pretty narrow. And God didn't make you for that. He made you for a purpose. Opposition. Don't be surprised. What can we say by close? Number one, lessons for our life. God has loved you. Gave Jesus to die in your place. I'm just wondering, if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, today is the day. Don't leave this place without realizing that you're lost and under judgment and say in the quietness of your heart, Lord Jesus, be merciful unto me, a sinner. I deserve help. Well, you died to make the payment for my sin. I don't understand it all, but I believe it, and I receive you. Oh, man. Oh, man. Don't miss that. That's when the joy begins. Number two. Number two, don't be surprised when you experience opposition. Don't be surprised. And the only way you don't is if you just remain undercover. I'm a secret agent for Jesus. Nobody knows. Oh, yeah? Maybe you're not really. Maybe you're a double agent, you know? Stand up. Be men of courage. Be women of courage. God's counting on us, right? This is our day to live. This is our day to run. Run. Run the race. Run. Let it go. Some of you have been holding back. You see the Olympics. Guy's holding back. Holding back. Going to wait for a big flurry on the last lap. Some of you don't have a very good kick, and not much going to happen. Kick now. Get going. We'll carry you out. Don't worry about it. Stand up. Be courageous. And when, when you do, don't be surprised. Now, I'm not saying be crass. Don't be crass. Be sweet. I'm not saying be rude. Don't be rude. But even when all of that's said and done, they'll sense the love of Christ in you, the person of Christ and, and uh, you, you will feel that in greater ways or not. Rejoice then. Rejoice. You're numbered with God's people. Man, number three. Number three. As believers, we have joy because of Jesus. And heaven is a place we'll be filled with joy. Remember, we used to sing that song, maybe some of you did. I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Down in my heart today. That's because of Jesus. Today's not a day for fasting, Jesus said. This is a party. Why? Because... They're in my presence. Wow, joy. What a great gift. Number four, meet the needs of those around you. Have a heart for people. You know, I've met now a number of mature believers that they actually open up separate checking accounts. I think it's a great idea. And uh, as God would direct, they put overflow of money or maybe unexpected money or maybe a percentage of money into that account. Okay, beyond their giving to their, to their local church and the Lord's work. And you know what they do? They snoop around for needs. 
and they find certain needs, and uh, they make those monies available. Help fix a car, help a, help a child with some clothing, buy some diapers, help with a medical bill, uh, support a missionary far away. It's a, it's a great way to live. And, you know, and if you give a percent, say, Lord, whatever comes in and this and that, I'm going to just put it in that account, and you help me put those money. I want to be a blessing. And, in fact, maybe a lot of the time I won't even put my name on it. I, they won't even know where it came from. That helps me. So it keeps, keeps me in the right place, right? That's a great idea. My old friend uh, Larry does that and, uh, and some others through the years. So you may want to try that. What? To have a heart for people and strive to meet the needs. Listen, you're only helping yourself. That sounds selfish. But blessed are those who give, Jesus said. You know, blessed. The blessing is in the giving. Have you learned that? It's not in the receiving. There's a joy in getting a gift, but it's more fun to give. Faith had her birthday this week. I had more fun, more fun giving to her. Uh, you know, I, I was thinking one of these days I'll be dead, right? And then she has it all anyway, right? <laughs> I might as well have fun giving it now, right? <laughs> Ask her later. Number five and last. We better end here. Love the Lord with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. And here it is, love people. That's the, that's the whole Bible summed up. Jesus said that. Do that. Would you do that? Get your eyes up and look. Look around. Pray, Lord, lay some people on my heart. Let me reach out to them and love them in the gospel of grace and be merciful to the meeting of needs. Wow. No better way to live. 